Chapter Two of Immortality and the Unseen World by W. O. E. Westerly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Old Testament Practice on the Constituent Parts of Man. One, Basar, Flesh. Obviously, in dealing with the subject of immortality in the Old Testament it is indispensable that we should get some clear and definite ideas as to what the old testament teaches regarding the constituent parts of man and their different functions we are met at the outset with the real difficulty that so many people have in envisaging things from the standpoint of the old testament writers the development of thought and conception during the ages as well as the manner of expressing them make it a matter of no slight difficulty for us to get into the mental environment of the ancient hebrew and to look out upon things from his circumscribed point of view nevertheless it is quite necessary that this difficulty should be overcome and it can be overcome to a large extent in this way in the first place it must be realized that the differentiation between what is material and what is immaterial or spiritual a thing that comes so natural to us was entirely unfamiliar to the people of antiquity in the second place it is necessary for us to remember that when as was the case with the israelites of old ideas have not been logically thought out nor formulated with precision the words used to express these ideas will as a consequence often be used loosely and ambiguously and it is the fact that there is confusion of thought and want of consistency in some things which the old testament teachers said regarding the component parts of man this fact must be allowed for according to old testament teaching man is made up firstly of flesh basar here there is no difference between man and the animals the word is used indiscriminately of man and beast in genesis chapter six verse seventeen for example it is said i do bring the flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life and in genesis chapter seven verse fifteen and they went in unto noah into the ark two and two of all flesh wherein is the breath of life and in so many other passages equally numerous are the places in which the word is used in reference to man in one case in order to make the reference to man more definite we get the phrase the spirit of the flesh of man job chapter twelve verse ten the revised version renders the breath of all mankind or the spirit of all mankind as far as this word is concerned then there is no ambiguity two nephesh soul next we come to the part of man called 
nefesh, which is translated soul, and so long as we do not understand soul here in the modern sense, this translation will stand. The word is mostly used to denote the individual life as distinct from the body or flesh. That is, the nefesh is the inner, while basar is the outer part of man. Like basar, however, nefesh is used in reference to animals too, though not so generally as is the case with basar. See Genesis chapter 1 verse 20, etc. This may be ultimately due to the fact, which cannot, however, be said to have been proved, that nefesh in its original signification meant breath, by means of which every living being, animal as well as human, lives. Although it is undeniable that this meaning of nefesh had almost entirely disappeared at a comparatively early time, we find the verb from the same root used in the sense of refreshing oneself, that is, taking in breath. The nifal form, see Hebrew of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 12, chapter 31, verse 17, Second Samuel, chapter 16, verse 14. The cognate roots in Assyrian and Arabic also have this meaning. Once in the Old Testament, nefesh is used of breath viz job chapter 41 verse 13 his breath kindleth coals and a flame goeth forth from his mouth these remnants in the old testament of the original signification of nefesh are interesting for it is probable that in its original conception nefesh regarded as a material part of man dwelling within the body, announced its presence there by means of the breath. When a man died and his breath ceased, this was because the nefesh had left the body. Since, therefore, the life of man ceased with the exit of the soul, this latter was regarded as his breath and one can understand why the word is frequently used in the sense of life. For example, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 23, life for life. Compare with Leviticus chapter 24, verse 18, Judges chapter 12, verse 3, 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 5, 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 7, etc. As such, it is conceived of as residing in the blood. Genesis chapter 9 verse 4 But flesh with the life, or nefesh, thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Indeed, it is sometimes looked upon as identical with the blood. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 For the life or nefesh, of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh atonement by reason of the life, or nefesh. See also Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. 
when the blood of a man is poured out he dies but that is because the nephesh has left the body with the blood when the blood was seen to smoke the ancient israelite believed this to be the breath so far we have briefly indicated the more or less official and orthodox teaching regarding the nephesh but there were in addition some popular conceptions about it which must be spoken of how far these conceptions were shared by the more responsible religious teachers depended upon the particular age originally and in the earlier ages of israel's history there can be little doubt but that the popular conceptions were held by all later especially in post-exilic times and onwards the official teaching on the subject departed from that of the people and everything was done to eradicate the popular ideas like many other peoples of antiquity the ancient israelites believed that the soul could slip in and out of the body at will how this belief in the external soul arose originally cannot be said with absolute certainty but it probably owed its origins to dreams when man in a primitive stage of culture dreams he believes that he lives through an actual experience but that it is his other self or nephesh that does so the soul part of him slips out of the body part of him and experiences literally the occurrences in the dream as the nephesh though material is a very fine and subtle substance it has no difficulty in thus slipping out of the body and slipping back again this belief with regard to the nephesh appears several times in the old testament in genesis chapter thirty five verse eighteen for example it is said in reference to rachel and it came to pass as her soul was in departing for she died that she called his name ben oni another interesting case is that in first kings chapter seventeen verse twenty one where elijah prays for the widow's dead child saying o lord my god i pray thee let this child's soul come into him again and the lord hearkened unto the voice of elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived this belief in the material character of the soul or nephesh may be further illustrated by the curious idea of its tangibility referred to in first samuel chapter twenty five verse twenty nine where abigail says to david and though man be risen up to pursue thee and to seek thy soul yet the soul of my lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the lord thy god and the soul of thine enemies them shall he sling out as from the hollow of a sling as driver has pointed out the word with has the force of in the care and custody of as in leviticus chapter five verse twenty three 
Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 3, and Isaiah chapter 49 verse 47. This idea that God has a bag in which he keeps souls is very quaint. It belongs to the circle of ideas connected with the belief that the soul can be detached from the body for short or long periods. It has been aptly proved that this belief has been, and is, held by men in a primitive stage of culture in many parts of the world. Quite possibly, Fraser may be right in his conjecture that the houses of the soul mentioned in Isaiah chapter 3 verse 20, the revised version renders perfume boxes, evidently following the Vulgate, were amulets in which the soul of the wearer was supposed to lodge. In the text, these words are followed by, and the amulets. Certain it is that the Egyptians, according to Flinders Petrie, put miniature houses on their tombs in which the souls of the departed were supposed to take up to their abode. However this may be, it is quite clear from the passage in Ezekiel that as late as his time the Israelites believed in the possibility of losing their souls, much in the same way as they might lose anything they carried about with them. The passage in question is the following. And thou, son of man, set thy face against the daughters of thy people, which prophesy out of their own heart, and prophesy thou against them, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the women that sew pillows upon all elbows, and make kerchiefs for the head of persons of every stature to hunt souls. Will ye hunt the souls of my people, and save souls alive for yourselves? And ye have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, to slay the souls that should not die, and to save the souls alive that should not live, by your lying to my people that hearken unto lies. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your pillows, wherewith ye there hunt the souls to make them fly, and I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls go, even the souls that ye hunt to make them fly. Your kerchiefs also will I tear, and deliver my people out of your hand and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Because with lies ye have grieved the heart of the righteous, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way and be saved alive. Therefore, ye shall no more see vanity nor divine divinations, and I will deliver my people out of your hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 13 verses 17 through 23. 3. Neshema, Breath. 
however varied the conceptions of the soul were both the popular and the official beliefs agreed in this that the nefesh continued to exist after the death of a man and that is the point of prime importance we shall refer again to the nefesh in speaking of other component parts of man as these were conceived of according to ancient hebrew belief we have already seen the close connection there was between the nefesh and the breath of man there are a few things about the breath or neshama according to the old testament teaching which need notice in genesis chapter 2 verse 7 it is said that god breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul with this we may compare the expression the breath of the spirit of life genesis chapter 7 verse 22 the breath is thus the principle of life which is the common possession of all living and is the same in every living creature the soul or nefesh is individual in character and is a different thing in each person the breath is given by god and man lives thereby compare job chapter thirty three verse four when it is withdrawn man dies compare job chapter thirty four verses fourteen and fifteen but this does not affect his nefesh the breath or neshema is thus something which god gives from his own being to man and the same is true of the beasts by means of which the nefesh is temporarily joined to the body made of dust the pre-existence of the nefesh would seem to be implied but this is nowhere definitely stated in the old testament four ruach spirit we come next to the spirit or ruach here again we must guard ourselves against applying to this word its modern connotation in its root signification it means wind and it is so used in describing wind in the ordinary sense of the word as well as when it refers to the wind in man that is his breath and when it means a component part of man his second ego it was regarded as a material substance though intangible and invisible itself but the result of its action could be seen and it could be heard that is to say all that was true of the wind proper was applied to the spirit of man there is probably no word in the old testament which has gone through such development in the old testament itself as the word ruach but we are here concerned with it only in so far as it refers to one of the component parts in man according to the ancient israelite conception man's spirit was conceived of as composed of the same light aerial substance as the wind like the nefesh it could enter and leave the body at will it is given by god and returns to god when a man dies see for example psalm 104 verse 29 it is not easy to see how nefesh was differentiated from ruach in the minds of ancient israelites 
probably they themselves were not clear upon the subject certain it is that the two are synonymous in quite a number of passages for example isaiah chapter twenty six verse six and both are used of any living creature though it is most likely that there was an instinctive idea that in animals it was not quite the same kind of thing as in human beings speaking generally we may perhaps say that upon the whole so far as there was any adumbration of a differentiation between matter and spirit nephesh was thought of rather in the former direction ruach in the latter what lends color to this supposition is the fact that nowhere is ruach thought of as being specially connected with any part of the body as nephesh was with the blood with which it was indeed identified as we have seen five dom blood this leads us to say a further word about blood as one of the component parts of man the israelite belief in its identity with the life or nephesh was the same as that of the arabs among these nafs which is equivalent to the hebrew nephesh is used of the life-blood when a man dies a natural death his life departs through the nostrils but when he is slain in battle his life flows on the spear-point to the use of nafs in the sense of blood the arabian philologists refer such expressions as nephos childbirth the identity between blood and the life explains why it was necessary to cover over blood with earth leviticus chapter seventeen verses ten through twelve thirteen and fourteen genesis chapter nine verse forty five jeremiah chapter two verse thirty four and why it was forbidden to be eaten leviticus chapter three verse seventeen chapter seven verse twenty six and following chapter seventeen verse ten and following Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses 16, 23, 24, etc. The word is frequently used in the plural in the Old Testament in order to express its abundance. Among many peoples, blood was offered to the dead for the purpose of giving them more of life. We are only thinking here, however, of blood as a component part of man, and cannot, therefore, touch upon the big subject of its use in sacrifice six azamot bones the human bones as constituent parts of man occupied a peculiarly important place difficult for the modern mind to understand the expression bone and flesh often used to express kinship where we should say flesh and blood shows that the bones were conceived of in a special way in genesis chapter twenty nine verse fourteen for example laban says to jacob surely thou art my bone and my flesh compare judges chapter nine verse two second samuel chapter five verse one chapter nineteen verses twelve and thirteen first chronicles chapter eleven verse one 
in genesis chapter two verses twenty one through twenty three the account of eve's creation the woman is made of one of adam's bones a rib whereupon the man says this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh here it is something more than kinship indeed we have passages in which it seems as though the bones were regarded as synonymous with man compare job chapter twenty verse eleven and that not merely in a physical sense but as identified with his personality in psalm thirty five verse ten for example the psalmist says all my bones shall say lord who is like unto thee and in job chapter four verse fourteen it is said fear came upon me and trembling which made all my bones to shake compare jeremiah chapter twenty three verse nine further we find in a number of passages that importance is attached to the burying of bones in genesis chapter fifty verse twenty five it is said that joseph took an oath of the children of israel saying god will surely visit you and ye shall carry my bones from hence see the sequel in exodus chapter thirteen verse nineteen and in joshua chapter twenty four verse thirty two compare first samuel chapter thirty one verse thirteen second samuel chapter twenty one verses thirteen and fourteen first kings chapter thirteen verse thirty one that in all these passages bones is not used in a loose way for body is evident when one sees from certain other passages the importance which bones as such had in the eyes of men thus the direst punishment that can be inflicted on a man is not only to leave his body unburied but also his bones long after the flesh has decayed an example of this is seen in second kings chapter twenty three verse sixteen and as josiah turned himself he spied the sepulchres that were there in the mount and he sent and took the bones out of the sepulchres and turned them upon the altar and defiled it but of the bones of the man of god he says let no man move his bones so they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of samaria see first kings chapter thirteen verse thirty one and again in jeremiah chapter eight verses one and two they shall bring out the bones of the kings of judah and the bones of his princes and the bones of the priests and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of jerusalem out of their graves and they shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven whom they have loved and whom they have served and after whom they have walked and whom they have sought and whom they have worshipped they shall not be gathered nor be buried it was not only the burning of bodies but also of the bones as distinct from the flesh which was looked upon as a dreadful thing hence the prophet says for three transgressions of moab yea for four i will not turn away the punishment thereof 
because he burned the bones of the king of Edom into lime. Amos chapter 2 verse 1. The reason why this importance was attached to the bones, as distinct from the flesh, is nowhere directly stated in the Old Testament, but it is hinted at in such a passage as Ezekiel chapter 37, the vision of the dry bones, and in Isaiah chapter 66 verse 14, where, in speaking of the comfort and happiness of the messianic kingdom, the prophet says, And ye shall see it, and your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like the tender grass. Compare chapter 58 verse 11, but the text is doubtful. Thus, there was the belief that life resided in the bones long after death, indeed permanently. And it is a striking thing that this belief is directly expressed by such a one as Ben Sira, who says, And also the twelve prophets, may their bones sprout beneath them. Wisdom of Ben Sira, or Ecclesiasticus. Chapter 49, verse 10. So, too, in chapter 46, verses 11 and 12, Also the judges, may their bones flourish again out of their place, and may their name sprout afresh for their children. In the Testament of Job, there is a curious reference to the bones of Job's children. In chapter 9, Job's wife begs the king to allow the bones of her dead children to be dug out from among the ruins of the house and to be placed in a tomb. But Job says it is useless. It then continues, And the king answered and said, Who will gainsay that he is out of his mind and raves? For while we desire to bring the bones of his children back, he forbids us to do so, saying, They have been taken and placed in the keeping of their maker. The context of this passage shows that an advanced doctrine of the resurrection was held, but the reference to the bones clearly echoes an ancient conception. Two other words describing constituent parts of man are leb and lebab, or heart, and meim, or inward parts, literally intestines. Both are used in figurative as well as literal meanings. The former is often used as being the seat of the understanding, the latter as the seat of the emotions. Neither of these has any direct bearing upon our present subject, so that we need not enter into any details here concerning them. End of chapter 2